Hey everybody, welcome to the Midday Treat with NAZ Elite. I'm Ben Rosario and this is our first podcast. Um, we are joined today by our intern for the summer, Veronica Rocco. She's going to be conducting these wonderful podcasts for the next few weeks while she's in town. And then if you guys like them and listen to them, uh, we will maybe try to continue on doing them all through the fall. Um, so I think uh, the plan for her is to interview the folks doing USA Outdoors next week. And so without further ado, I will turn it over to Veronica. Hi, I'm Veronica. I'm going to be a junior at Amherst College, and I'm on the women's cross-country and track teams there. And today we're talking to Craig Lutz, who was a four-time All-American at the University of Texas, twice in the 10K on the track, and twice in cross-country. And today we're going to talk about his high school, college, and professional running experiences thus far, and what he's feeling like going into the USA Track and Field Outdoor National Championships in Sacramento. And just yesterday, Craig closed his 3x1600 workout in 415 or 414.99. So what are your thoughts on that? Like, Are you confident going oh, to USA's? Well, I, I, would really, I, I really think that this season especially, but uh, I mean this workout highlights it, but we've really covered our bases on any way this 5K can go next week. And I think yesterday's workout was the kind of the final prep where we worked on closing it out, um, 448 or I guess 444, 1600, or 446, 1600, 433, and then the 415. That's great practice for a possible way that this race could go. Um, some of the field already has a world standard. A lot of the field doesn't have it, so it could go another way, but but one of the scenarios certainly can in a popular championship way for men to race is to just pick it up and, and really start to fire on all cylinders over the last mile, last 800. So I think yesterday's workout was perfect for that because even within that 415, we cut down with a 67, 64, 62, 60. And that that just seems to me like a great confidence booster to know that I can, uh, on tired legs, cover ground faster and faster as we get closer to the finish. And this is your second USAs, am I right? Yes, yes. This will be this will be my second USA Outdoor Championships. My first one was with a Texas jersey on. Um, I ran 24 of the 25 laps of the 10K. Uh, that was an ugly performance at the end of a very long collegiate season and career. So um, I kind of, you know, it happened, but I'm looking forward to next week's USA Championship kind of uh, as an actual pro, uh, you know, moving forward with a, with a great mark and, and hopefully a great race. And the full 12 and a half laps. Yes, yes. <laughs> so um, going into the meet, you said a couple people have the standard and you don't have the standard, but you ran an excellent 1336 for your new PR. So mm -hmm. how exciting was that for you? That was really exciting. Something that I told Ben and, and was very open about leaving was that I ran that race, uh, not necessarily afraid, but, but definitely, um, I, th I think afraid's a good word. I, I was afraid to hurt. And so... I'm so strong now that I was able to run that PR running the first half of the race in the back of the pack thinking, oh, the pace is going to be too hot for me. I need to just sit back here. When in reality, the race didn't end up going as fast as it was supposed to. And I found myself then competing in the end of the race. And I 
and, and talking to Ben afterwards, I definitely should have brought a little bit more confidence to the line and, and put myself up further front, further in the front of the race. So a couple weeks later, I ran a 3K in um, Concord, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and that performance, um, while still coming out with an eighth place finish, I definitely put myself closer up to the front where I was able to compete and once again close hard. And so I think that race is actually more indicative of what I want to be able to accomplish this next week. And that was a 13-second PR, am I right? Yes. So how exciting was that for you? Like coming off a 3K, which you typically race during the indoor season. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was definitely exciting. I, uh, I I was very, very happy. I, I wanted to just break eight. Um, in the back of my mind, kind of my supreme goal was to skip the 750s. But, you know, uh, kind of the thing that we're trying to break out of is, is not playing it safe all the time. So I still was a little bit d- disappointed with my mindset and the fact that I was simply just saying, let's just break eight. Um, I kind of felt like fitness wise, if I had said that to Ben or anybody around me, they'd be like, well, you should obviously break eight pretty easily. And that, in that race and how it rolled out, um, it, it really proved that we are just at a fitness level that I've never been at, but also performing where I probably should have been at some of these distances in the past. And, um, the 1336 outdoors, was a four-second four PR, PR over my best performance there, and that's kind of why I think, especially after that 7.48, I've got a lot more to go downward in that 5K. And so I'm excited for USAs. I really hope that it's not too slow out the gate because I do want another PR. I want to keep bringing that down because with the 7.48 and this mile work and, and the 5K, all of that just comes together to show that I can run faster as I go up higher. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that that's generally speaking – kind of the biggest thing that I'm like most excited about is trying to bring those bigger PRs down. And then last year you were injured, so you couldn't compete at the trials. And essentially, 2016, you ran the um, USA Cross Country Championships, one, which was awesome. But then after that, you didn't really race. So like what happened there and how has that fueled you for this year? Well, it, it uh, was a little, it was pretty hard because we ran US Cross on only a few hard workouts and really not, I mean, mostly just base strength coming off of a fall that that was ended by a little bit of sickness too. So we had already had that situation that happened, but now we were starting to get the ball rolling. I started to really hit workouts very well. Ran Gate River, which was the 15K US champs, got fourth there. And that one was exciting because the fourth place didn't even really show the fact that I put myself in it and, and took the lead with a mile to go. Um, just didn't have the wheels to cover some of the faster guys in the course, but we walked away from Gate River and we're thinking, man, this is this is really exciting stuff. We're in a very good place. And then uh, Stanford 10K was was happening four miles in, and then I, I fell off. And um, while I did die, it still still came away matching my PR um, in the 10K. So it was a negative experience in the fact that we knew I was a lot more fit, but it it wasn't it wasn't truly that bad. But then over the next two weeks, my calves. Uh, they were really sore coming out of the race, and then as the soreness went away, which took longer than usual, um, it, it just kind of it came back with a uh, pretty quick Achilles um, kind of like flare-up. It just all of a sudden was went from 0 to 10, and then sort of went away over kind of like day-to-day uh, watching it and, and trying to pay attention to it, but every time we felt like it had calmed down, we got back on to running, it would flare back up. And so we just, we just had to end the season. Um, we just, and, and it, it makes it even harder because I've, I've never had an Achilles problem in my life. Um, 
And so that first time that it happened, we just didn't, we didn't really know. Um, we kind of just had to keep, uh, and taking like a day off, cross train a little bit, but, but trying to keep the fitness going because we just kind of figured it would go away since this wasn't something that I'd ever dealt with. So I think that made it hurt even more having to skip the summer, um, especially with how great a shape I had gotten into. So when you were a young kid, you ran track, like mm -hmm. you did all the age group track stuff. So mm -hmm. when you were like, you know, eight or nine running the age group track stuff, did you ever picture yourself competing at the USA Outdoor Championships as a professional runner? Uh, I didn't, I didn't look at this particular situation, but I will say that, um, I, I started running when I was six or seven. Um, I ran a kind of like a downhill mile in Austin, Texas. Uh, I broke seven at the age of seven. And we didn't really realize that that was a huge thing at the at the time. Um, but as I look back at it now, I'm like, wow, that's crazy. But I was running in this program called Marathon Kids, and I just I started to run these road races and stuff, and uh, with my family and family friends, and just started to realize that running was like something that was going on. But I really liked baseball at the time, so I actually was going through the going through that period of uh, a lot of like boys' minds where they're like, man, I'm gonna play. MLB baseball, I'm going to be awesome, and um, it did, it got, I played baseball and I started to run, uh, like, doing both, um, and running kind of more on a, uh, like, a track club level just during the summer, and then it started to pick up, my dad started a cross-country team, but I was still always playing baseball until a point came in where we had to make the, the choice, do we go on to play select baseball where you're starting to pay all the club fees and travel and all that, and do we do that, which my dad played college ball, so... Um, and I really liked it too, and that so that was a hard decision. But it, right around that time, I had started to run just better and better off of really nothing. And we still didn't know what was out there, but it I just felt a drive to go with that. And I think right around that time, I started to realize like I can I I, I think I can turn this sport into something further on down the road. And and so, um, but I I don't think. I really started to realize um, the post-collegiate side of things, uh, those aspirations, until maybe late middle school. Um, I knew college was there. I knew that that was an option, but it, uh, it took a little time for me to realize kind of where this could take me. So then when you were in high school, you were incredibly successful, won an extended individual title, then got fourth at Foot Locker just a week later. So right, that was your junior year. Mm -hmm. So right then, were the seeds kind of being planted that I want to go compete at a very... Um, successful collegiate program and that lead, did that lead you to go into Texas? It did. What's really interesting about me going to Texas is that at, at that particular moment when I won an XN, got fourth at Foot Locker, um, uh, A, my high school coach who is also very successful has had multiple state titles on the girls side and a, and a bunch of state champions individually. Um, we I raced 14 times that cross-country season. And we walked away from that, and he looked at me and said, we raced too many times. Because I, when I got fourth at Foot Locker, I really think that I that was the best I could do on that day. But if I had had a smarter season, I feel like I could have done better. Um, in XN, emotionally speaking, we, we were ready for that race. I won it, and then I just plummeted during the middle of that week. And to try to get back up for Foot Locker, like, it was too much. And so we we re-approached we re it for the next year and raced a lot less, along with the fact that I had to start paying attention to where am I going to go for college. At the time, I rode off going anywhere in the state of Texas. I thought it was too track-oriented. I wanted to run distance, obviously. I wanted to be in a cross-country powerhouse. And I would start off a lot of my conversations with Texas coaches saying that, like, I don't want to come to your program because I feel like it's too track-team-oriented. 
which when now sitting here realizing I'd gone to the University of Texas, I love the fact that I did that because it's so much fun to be on a team that's completely the, like everything. You've got indoor, outdoor, cross country. They, it matters across the board. You're trying to go for the best program of the year. And so I love the fact that I ended up doing that. But yeah, when I was in high school, I did not think that I was going to go to the University of Texas. Um, I didn't think I was going to even like look at trying to go to A&M. I thought I was going to leave, go to one of the powerhouses and just put in my time there. Um, but then, yeah, during my during the summer going into my senior year, John Hayes at Texas uh, kind of sat me down, and I, I'm pretty sure I had told him those words, and he sat me down and he said, look, we're trying to build a dynasty here. And he showed me the class that he had gotten before and the class that he got two years before and how they were doing, and they were all development guys, and they were all running really well. And I came in my freshman year to Texas, and we ended up getting 14th at Nationals with a complete Texas group, nobody from the outside of the state. And we rolled from there and just kept doing you know, well or better every single year after that and it just and it remained a Texas group. Um, and so I I was really happy that I, I ultimately had had that conversation with him. Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean like that that junior year, the, that cross country performance, I had started getting like the letters and stuff from some smaller schools, but that those two performances right there really opened the doors up. Um, and and I'm glad that I stayed in the state. Was there a lot of pressure for you to stay in state, like amongst your peers, friends at school? There wasn't, but I believe my father, I, Hayes at Texas, a couple of other people, um, and then eventually myself realized and preached how important it was to, to keep Texas on my chest. If I had left the state, how well would I have kept relationships with a fan base in the state of Texas? You know, I, like, I don't know. I mean, generally speaking now, especially with social media, it is a little easier, but then social media was still becoming a popular medium for our sport. And so I, I don't think I would have done as well as holding a, a Texas fan base if I had left the state. I think it really helped that I stayed there and, and wore the burnt orange. And and so, I, I mean, that's another reason why I'm really happy I ultimately did that. I think I think that that move, staying in state, was, was the right thing to do at that time. And at Texas, you were a four-time All-American, including as a first year in cross-country. Like, what was that like, becoming an All-American just straight out of high school? So that's one of those things where I didn't realize how cool it was to be All-American until I did it. Um, because it it was one of those things where I was still learning as I was going. My freshman year at Texas, I, one, came in out of shape and didn't realize how important you know, not necessarily loading your summer, but at least running consistently through the summer was at the time I, in high school, your season is so long and it's, you race so many times, it really didn't matter what you were doing in June or July. Uh, so I found that out quickly when I got to campus and I was getting my butt kicked in all of my workouts and my, uh, I, my, some of my teammates were even saying like, do we get the right Craig Lutz? Like, who is this guy? And then by Wisconsin, my, uh, my freshman year, um, I ended up having a breakout race that showed that I was back on track. Uh, I was first freshman there, and uh, and that that right there was kind of a huge turning point because I went from being a dark horse on the freshman of the year chart to all of a sudden becoming the the front runner, and I, I allowed that momentum to keep going into into nationals, and um, so yeah, I mean when we I ran that Wisconsin race and there was just really not a lot of pressure, but then once you're standing on the Terre Haute starting line, you're like, this is crazy. Because I'd gotten 15th in Wisconsin and thought that I could probably finish somewhere around there. I ended up finishing 33rd at Nationals and thought that that was the hardest race that I've ever run. And it's, I mean, it's insane the amount of guys that show up at Nationals 
and they may have had mediocre years, but something happens there. People just engage all of a sudden, and they don't fall apart. They just keep running to the finish line. And so uh, I was very happy to have finished 33rd, and and getting that All-American honor um, I, that day, the realization of how big it was it really set upon my shoulders. And then later in your Texas career, you also got All-American in cross your junior year, am I right? And then your senior year, you fell a little bit short. I heard there's a kind of a funny story about your senior year. <laughs> kind of funny, yeah. if you wouldn't mind going back into that. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, a little bit of history about the cross seasons is uh, when I got 33rd my freshman year, I kind of did get a little cocky about that in my own mind and thought, well, I did it here, so it's obviously going to be easy to do it every single year. Um I ended up having a really terrible rest of my freshman year, maybe because of that mentality. Also because on the track, people just run way faster. And so I wasn't ready for that, and I just kind of got dragged through the rest of my freshman year. Didn't even make regionals. Uh, sophomore year, we I had to drop out um, at NCAAs, and that was, I feel like that was a huge turning point for what ended up turning into a great rest of my sophomore year. But then, yeah, junior year in the mud of Terre Haute, a really cold, muddy day. If any, anybody that's listening to this ran that day, um, that would have been 2013, probably 2013. That was the coldest race that a lot of us had ever run. It wasn't even that cold of a day, but the wind chill was just, just terrible. And there's nowhere to hide on the Terre Haute, Terre Haute course. Like, you go into a tent, you're still freezing. And so, yeah, that was kind of one of those days where I went out and... Um, I think I finished somewhere around 15th. I went out in that place, and I pretty much just stayed there the whole entire time. I Not a lot of people were moving. I think everyone was so cold that it was just like once you got into your place, that was kind of it. Um, senior year, probably the best shape I ever was for any of those cross seasons. Uh, we started off really, really slow. No one wanted to take it, um, probably thinking Edward would just run everybody down anyways. Um, so we went through with a 5k and I don't think a single person in the whole entire NCAA race had fallen off at this point. I mean, it was the, every body of the whole entire race was right there and we're coming through the, uh, we had just come through the starting alley and we had just started back onto the, the second 5k loop. And I noticed, I like saw this girl who was getting ready to take a selfie and then, so I thought she was just going to stay on the side of the course, but then, I don't know, she noticed the angle, felt like she needed to get a little bit more, and she, she came out over the course, and I ran straight into her. And that kind of started a bumper car effect because of the amount of guys that were around me where, you know, like guys you start holding each other and trying to do that. And I just started getting a lot of hands on me, and then all of a sudden I was just, I was down. And fortunately for me, I was running on the side, which... I guess was unfortunate because I hit the girl, but fortunately was able to fall outside of the group because I feel like if I had just gone straight down, it would have been a much worse story. Um, so a positive of the situation is that everyone was still there. A bad thing was is that when I got up and started to try to catch back up to the group, that was when everyone started to go. So all of a sudden it turned into an all-out 5K race, and I was and I was 20 seconds back. And so it was, uh, it was unfortunate. Um, finished in somewhere around 50th. Um, felt like I was catching so many guys, and when we got into about a K to go, somebody yelled my place at me, and I thought, I might still be able to get to the 48. But, like I said earlier, people don't fall apart, and so eventually everyone evened out, and it started and started to run hard, and especially when you're right around the 40th spot, no one's giving up spots. So it was, uh, it was tough. Um, but uh, I knew I was in shape, so we bounced back, and three weeks later ran the Indiana early season indoor meet. And I ran 14.47 for the 5K there, which was a massive PR. So that kind of 
we didn't we didn't really place that well at nationals as a team, so I I didn't put too much guilt on me um, on myself from that from that cross country meet, but I still did feel pretty bad. I was able to go to that five k race to start off the indoor season and try to like make it feel a little bit better. Um, that that at least proved to myself because we were about to come into these really critical months for my senior year. That kind of proved like, okay, you are good. That 50th place was a fluke. You're ready to run fast. So to getting fourth in the 10K at NCAA Outdoor, did that confirm that for you? I think so. Honestly, that fourth place by that time, I mean, it was a huge thing. And I I love the fact that I was able to place in the top four two times in the NCAA 10K. Mm -hmm. But the biggest thing to me was just, I mean, I just obliterating my PRs during that year. Um, my mile got close to four. Uh, my 3K was 801 at the time, but like didn't get to run that very often. Um, that actually was probably the time that haunted me the most because I really wanted to get up to that eight. But my 5K went down to 1340, um, and I got my outdoor 5K under 14, and then my 10K went all the way down to 2833. So I, I kind of felt like all of those things together, along with the fact that in some of those situations, like the Stanford 10K, which is generally a time trial, I felt like I really raced well in the last 800 meters of that. And I felt like that showed people that I can run fast and race well. NCAAs, while it ended up being a pretty decent time for an NCAA 10K, it still was more of the fact that 5K in, it bunched up, and then I just went, and no one ended up coming. It was a, it was a, uh, an aggressive move on my part, that ended up paying off. It could have been an aggressive move on my part that ended up making me not finish in the All-American spot, and it could have been completely seen as you know a move that was immature and, and, and risky. Um, but but I was confident, and, and, it, and it ended up working out. But uh, but what I, I walked away from that fourth place at NCAAs, and I was really happy about it, but I also was first with about 1,200 meters to go, and I ended up getting fourth to everyone in that pack. So I looked at it and was like, well, it became a four-man race, and I lost to everybody. So I, I, did, I did still pull away with a little bit of negative attitude from that race. Um, uh, getting third as a sophomore probably made it harder for me to take fourth as, a, as a, you know, a happy thing, especially since I didn't get to run my junior year. But yeah, I just, I just kind of felt like um, all those performances together really started to tell a story, because right around NCAAs, I'd begun talking to Ben. And um, my times and my my racing, I felt like spoke a lot more than than any one performance. But I do think that my racing at NCAA's kind of showed to Ben, okay, like this guy isn't just there for the time; he's there to you know bump and rub and, and try to try to win races. So then, after NCAA's, you knew that you were looking to go pro. You were talking to Ben. Was it a hard decision, or was it an easy decision when you were looking around other groups to join, brands to sponsor, to go with, whatever? Yeah, I mean, I may have showed my cards a little too early in terms of uh, what I was looking for. Um, I came out of the gates and was like, I want to be a part of a team. I'm, I'm not the kind of athlete that's going to do too well on a. Even if I had a coach, but I was an individual athlete, I just don't think I prosper well in those situations. I did it in high school for a little bit, but then by my senior year, I had a really good team around me. And then I went to Texas and had a really good team around me. I just knew that that's what I wanted and what I needed. Um, and so really that just shortened my list immediately. Um, and with uh, kind of talking to coaches and looking at groups, um, kind of leaving the shoe stuff out of it and just, just looking at coaches and, and support and all that, 
it was it, it did make the choice easier because we just have a very good situation here in Flagstaff in terms of everything. And that's and that's what I try to tell people, um, even when they're going to college or going pro or both situations, you need to look at the whole entire picture because a lot of times I feel like somebody just looks at a dollar amount and they think like, oh, and that could be scholarship or a pro contract. And they think like, well, I just I just have to do this. When I went to Texas, I turned down full rides. I went there for way less than a full ride because I knew that I was going to get what I needed from there. And I really liked my coach. And, and so I think that helped me when I was coming out of college to realize the, the support or the, like the, the income or the, you know, financial support will come with success. But for the, for the foundation of your success, you need to have that support there. You need to have the right things around you. You need to have somebody that you believe in and who believes in you. Um, at least if that's what you're looking for. And so that that's what really drove my uh, my decision. And I felt like because I knew what I wanted, it was a lot easier. And prior to joining the team, had you ever been to Flagstaff before? Uh, well, I, I took my visit out here, and mm-hmm. that was the only time that I'd been to Flagstaff. Okay. <laughs> my, so, uh, my one-week visit. So what jumped out at you on your visit that really made you say, like, this is where I want to be? Like, this is where I want to be become the best version of Craig that I can be? Well, um, the biggest thing was I would say a year before I ended up coming so sometime during my senior year of college and every day of my life before that I thought Arizona was just desert um and then during my senior year when I started talking to Ben I looked at it and was like okay there's like trees there but it still didn't really make sense to me I didn't you know I didn't wikipedia the whole area and figure it out I just was like interesting it's you know it's a mountain town um and then so when I came on my visit land in Phoenix it's like 100 and something degrees and then we're getting in the car with Fable. Fable and I did our visit on the same week, and we're driving up, and Ben's telling us, like, it's going to be pretty interesting because we change. You you kind of drive through all the zones as you're coming up. And sure enough, we, we get through Camp Verde, which is about a 45-minute drive, and you're, you're driving up to the rim of 7,000 feet, and then all of a sudden you're just in a forest. It's, it's, a, it's like kind of a quick change from um, – Camp Verde's got some greenery and, and uh, some – moderate sized shrubbery but then all of a sudden you get up on top of the rim and you're just in a pine forest um and then for the next 30 minutes you're just driving through that and so that really solidified the fact that I was going to be comfortable here it's I don't think I would have been comfortable if there weren't trees and stuff um so that was that was a really big thing and then a lot of times now with my friends whenever they ask like or or people who who were like me that didn't understand Arizona they're like oh my gosh how do you train there it's hot it's 100 degrees because they see the Phoenix weather and they think that that's what we're trading in. And now granted right now it is a little warm, you know, a hot streak, but I would say that the summer averages out somewhere between 80 and 85. And especially when the monsoon season starts in the second half, it's it's cool. Our summers are awesome. Training's really easy. And the, I mean, it's just, it's like a paradise up here. And so the, um, the, the, the visit that I took for the, the one week that I was out here, that really, I was like, oh, man, this is awesome. And that's generally how I, I don't think I've ever met anybody that's at least come for a short period of time who was like, I hated Flagstaff. They generally come and they're like, wow, I couldn't believe that this existed in Arizona. Was it interesting taking your visit with Fobble? Did that help, like, kind of so you could have a future teammate who would be, like, right around your age, more or less? It did help. 
Uh, I didn't know what Pablo was thinking when we left, and that's mostly because of the fact that Pablo took his visit when he had a broken foot. So I, I kind of felt bad for him because we were going off on runs, and I was seeing a lot of the main meeting spots and, and being able to kind of meet some of the other people at Flagstaff while we were on runs, and, and Pablo was staying back at the house that we were staying at in his boot. And, uh, and, and I was thinking, like, man, he's, he's not getting quite the, the full visit. But I think by the time the week was done we were heading home, I had a good read on, the, on a sense that he, he would be joining, mm-hmm. um, which was big because I had, I had some people who, uh, who were asking, like, oh, really, you're looking at that NAZ team? Isn't that the team where, like, Ben Bruce is on? He's, like, kind of older. And, uh, you know, like, what's your training group going to be? Like, they're all, like, longer-distance older guys. And I was like, well, I, I think we're, we're going to be adding some younger people onto the team. And, and now, I mean, now we've, we really, truly do have a younger uh, group. And, um, and, and the, what ended up being a huge positive is that, is that the older guys that have been on the team, um, Ben Bruce, who's now made it to 16 straight, 15 straight USAs, um, you can't, like, like, having Ben Rosario as my coach is great, but he can't teach me everything. You need teammates who have seen it all, or you need to be around other people. You can't hear everything from the same person. So being, so having such an eclectic group that we have, it, it has, it has true, I've, I've heard a story for every single situation that you possibly could be as a pro runner, like stuck in or in or anything, I, everyone on this team has seen it, and so it's it is great. If I ever have a problem where I'm stuck in something, or or I I'm, I need help on getting my mind over something or or another, uh, there's somebody on the team that I can talk to, and so it ended up being a huge positive to be able to have this this huge array of of age and and distance and background. So when you first turned professional, like what were your thoughts? What were the reactions from your friends and family? Were a lot of them saying, oh, wait, what? You can be a professional runner? That's like a viable career option? <laughs> so fortunately in Austin, there is a, a very good background of running. And then I ran for so many years of my life that I think I think a lot of my friends had finally gotten over the fact that what I was doing was pretty weird, especially in high school, to, to just waiting for the day for it to happen. A lot of them still don't understand most of the sport, but they do understand what I do at this point in time. Um, but it was, it was really cool because no matter what you're going professional in, I would say like no matter what walk of life you're in, it is cool to finally be able to reach that top level and, and be able to say, okay, like I've devoted a lot of my life to this and, and I'm finally signing a piece of paper that says that I have made it. Um, and so that was, that was a really big day for me being able to put it out, which with, uh, with coach Rosario, um, and, and how hard we really try to market things on this team. I actually had to wait for a couple of months before we truly put it out because we like we waited until our group was solidified and we waited until we'd gotten all of our gear and, and been able to build some marketing stuff and get pictures taken and then we pushed it on the same day. So it ended up being a huge, uh, this kind of huge 24-hour long um, publication on kind of our team and stuff and I, it ended up being really cool but I had to keep it quiet for so long and so uh, that, that was really hard. And, and in Austin, I would have like a Hoka shirt on or something and be running around and, and I would have questions like, Oh, you signed with Hoka. And, and I would just say like, uh, yeah, you know, like, yeah, maybe, you know, we're just trying out some things, but I never said anything about the fact that I was actually leaving Austin and going out to, to Arizona, um, which I did at the end of that summer. So it was, uh, it, it definitely, I wouldn't say caught anybody off surprise, but I did have to answer some questions. Um, and, and kind of explain the scenario. Cause also at that time, like NAZ was really only, 
um, or I guess as a Hoka brand, wasn't too old at the time. Um, I, I was kind of coming in when they were really starting to grow in terms of a group. And so um, there was a lot to be answered in terms of who who the team was at that time. And I, I think Coach Rosario really did well at providing a lot of information. We also became very transparent right around that time and started to really push uh, success stories, training, all those kind of things. And that answered a lot of questions too. Did that transparency, did that seem unique to you in the running world? It did because in college, we all know we're doing the same thing, but nobody talks about it. We would do a workout and your coach would tell you like, don't post this or, or just don't share too much. We don't want to, we don't want people to know where we are. And a lot of times that came down to simply conference points, which is kind of the most, you know, people have their opinions about conference meets, but a lot of times like you're trying to get points at these things and you don't want teams to know who's running what event. So a lot of times you just wouldn't share what you were training. And I always kind of felt like that was silly because we are purely like, I mean, you can build a workout any sort of way, but when you do it, everyone's like, oh, yeah, I just did something like that. And so if there really is no secret, there shouldn't be any secrets. I mean, like, when, if you're looking at any other sport, I feel like the training that they do, um, other than maybe running plays for football or, or different strategy in basketball or, you know, things like that or signs in baseball, the, the, everyone's trying to just get as strong as they can and be able to compete for the longest that they can for the total time of whatever game or, or competition that's going on. And, and running is no different. We all know what the training, the different training tactics and strategies and, and different books that are out there and coaches' ideas and stuff. And I just kind of feel like it's silly to hide all that. And if you are hiding it, then you have to ask, why are you hiding it? And so um, I really like that we do that on this team. So we're going to end with a couple, like, um, just quick questions. So first, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Jerry Garcia, Ben & Jerry's. Okay, what is something that's on your bucket list? Uh, drink the best cup of coffee in every state. How many states have you had coffee in thus far, would you say? Utah. Well, okay, so this is, it's, it's gray area because it's, uh, you, you have to try to, either by word of mouth or, or just really scouring the internet, you have to try to figure out what is the best cup of coffee in each state? So in some cases, I've had a few of the best cups of coffee, but I would say Arizona, Texas, Utah, California, uh, and Oregon are probably really the only states that I've truly paid attention to that. What is your favorite song? You know, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not very, I, I like that. I will tell you this. I'm on a country binge right now. I've really been listening to a lot of country, a lot of the new stuff because it's kind of poppy and exciting. Yeah. I don't know if I necessarily have a, a particularly favorite song or artist, so don't follow up with that. Okay. <laughs> What's your favorite movie? Favorite movie? Um, favorite movie? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm... What we're finding out here in this podcast is I'm not very good at listening or listing uh, particular music and artists, song names. I'm also not very good at remembering anything that I've ever seen in a movie. I, my brain does not work very well in those uh, in those categories. Um, movies that I really enjoy myself in as of recent, uh, Beauty and the Beast blew me away. I was really hesitant when we went in. Meg pulled me in there. We watched it, loved it. It was a great movie. Um, 
that's really been about the only movie I've seen this year. <laughs> what is your guilty pleasure? Guilty pleasure? Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily a guilty pleasure, but my my face is in my phone a lot. Um, so I, I, I kind of distract myself with that. Mm-hmm. Um, guilty pleasure... Goodness, I have coffee really late in the day, and that's generally, I feel like it's going to affect me with my sleep, but I just crave it, and then I end up sleeping fine anyways. Um, but I, I don't even know if I necessarily, I don't do anything special, I just make black coffee, uh, but I drink a lot of it, so I, I don't know, that might be a guilty pleasure. Um, doesn't impact me or anything, though. Yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, <laughs> what is your favorite tea memory here with NAZ Elite? <laughs> has one of my favorite team memories here was pretty recently and maybe that's why it's one of my favorites we were uh marty was is heading back out to the east coast for his wedding mm-hmm. and uh and so we just he'd already done his bachelor party in vegas with a lot of his like syracuse friends but we wanted to have our own bachelor party which in our group is it's a bachelor party, but it's not like we can go wild or anything. <laughs> Energy level, training, all these things come in, and, and the fact that none of us really want to stay up that late anyways. So we just went to we went to a bar for happy hour uh, in downtown Flagstaff. Uh, had a couple of drinks. Um, they also have like an arcade room off to the side, so we played some games and stuff. And then we went to Diablo Burger, which is Marty's, you know, well, all of ours, but Marty truly enjoys the burgers there. And uh, we all had a burger. Um... And then we went to another bar that has pool tables and stuff, and we just kind of played pool for the for another about hour or two. Um, and I, you know, I think I was still in bed by ten thirty that night, but we we had a great time um, and uh, just kind of sending Marty off for for marriage in our kind of Flagstaff bachelor way. Um, but it, that was that was a really good uh, kind of time because that was also one of the things we all have different training uh, segments and we all overlap and, and people are off at different times. So this is one of the first times that we were kind of able to get almost the whole entire team together for at least a night of, I don't know, a, a, a mild debauchery. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could be a professional athlete in any other sport, what sport would it be? I would stick with baseball. Okay. Any um, team in particular you would want to be on? Well, so I was born in Chicago, and then okay. when people ask me, oh, how long did you live there? Well, two years, and then I moved to Texas, so then people were like, well, that doesn't count. And, uh, but my family's from Chicago, so I like the Cubs. Um, not a bandwagon fan. Uh, I'm, I, in terms of where I was born, it was on that technical side of Chicago, so uh, I do feel like I can cheer for the Cubs. Um, now, granted, I have cheered harder ever since they won, uh, yeah. or at least started to become better, uh, but... But yeah, I mean, like, oh man, if I if I could be a, a player for the Cubs, uh, you know, I might have to say goodbye to running. <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least, what is your pet peeve? Pet peeve? Oh man, I've got a couple, uh, and they all rank about the same. Yeah, go for um, Chewing with your mouth open is is a big one. Uh, generally, speaking, it doesn't matter what you're eating. I can hear it, and it's it's gonna annoy me. Um, it doesn't also, also doesn't matter who you are. Um, it's gonna annoy me. I will usually hold, like keep my mouth closed about it though, because I'd rather just suffer internally than have to like have an argument about it. Uh, two, which I will let you know that you're pissing me off, is driving and people disregarding. Um, and I've gotten a ticket in this, so it's disregarding traffic control devices. 
One of my biggest things, and there's a couple of instances here in Flagstaff, is where there's turn lanes, really long turn lanes, with multiple turn lanes in it. So, like, a really long turn lane, but for the first 50 feet, it's a turn lane for one particular thing, and then it turns into a turn lane for something else. You gotta turn into the turn lane that you're turning for. <laughs> I've gotten cut off so many times by somebody who gets in early and then floors it down the turn lane. Oh, a few weeks ago, I got into a yelling match with an older man because he was pissed that I honked at him, so he put down his window, and we had a yelling match at a stoplight further on down the road, and Meg was sitting in the passenger seat, and she's like, it's not worth it. But in my mind, I'm like, I can probably maybe help this guy learn something that he hasn't covered. And so I just, I don't know. That really gets me. Um, I, I, people need to be safer out there, and, and I feel like if I can let you know that you're, you're doing the wrong thing, then that, you know. That'll save a life or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's it for your pet peeves. Anything else? I'm sure there's other ones, but those, I'm really passionate about those too. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Okay, so that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week or at some other point in the future. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Of course.